0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, and today I'm thrilled to have Paris Kokinos with me talking about drones, his journey, and his family business. So, Paris, welcome and thanks so much for joining me.
1: Hey, Nikki, I'm really, really excited to be here and happy to reach out to an audience that is in lockdown at present, so...
0: Listen, we were just chatting about it, 92, 92 country, that's the audience of people listening. So hello, wherever you are in the world. Um, we hope you're enjoying the show and hearing all about Australian robotics. Paris, we were just talking about uh, our little lockdown issues that we are currently facing and how we are coping with it. Any, any advice for any Australians out there, especially Sydney siders? where you based?
1: Definitely. So I guess the government's pushing for an increased vax rate at this point in time. So, you know, the quicker we all abide by that and hear it all out, the quicker we can get out and have some fun. And um, yeah, and I'm really excited to get back in the office again amongst the team. So whatever we need to do, to do that. it's yeah,
0: I couldn't agree well. with you more. Yeah, you, you're listening to double vaxxers here. Both of us have had our double vaccinations. So tell us a little bit, you're the founder and CEO of Spear Drones. So tell us about your journey that led to this point.
1: Thanks, Nikki. Yeah, so I guess there's a few milestones in my life, which is quite exciting and really got me to where I am today. So I guess to, to roll back to probably when I was about eight, nine years old, I actually grew up in my grandfather's workshop um that workshop was a two-way radio communications workshop so my grandfather and my dad worked together um and pretty much it taught me everything I knew from a technical and repairs and service function um so yeah as you can probably tell it's a family business uh and yeah one that's been involved in, in and amongst the technology space in at age 13 dad taught me how to fly model helicopters and airplanes so that's something that I continued to do. I haven't probably touched a model helicopter since probably age 16 or 17. But you know, for me, I was flying aerobatics, like 3D aerobatics with model helicopters. So it was definitely um, one of those milestones that got me on the map. I guess a little bit more into it. I was. Dad was also very much an adventurous type, and you'll hear me talk a lot about dad, right? So he was definitely that character of um, of the family that was different to the lot, but definitely showed me the ropes in and amongst. Um, you know, outdoors and, and flying and that kind of stuff. So we're involved with a, an outdoor activity called geocaching. Have you heard of it, Nikki? No. Uh-uh. What
0: is it? Tell us.
1: So geocaching, it's like an outdoor recreational activity, which um, participants actually use GPS. So like your latitude, longitude, 33 degrees, 151 east is what Sydney's latitude and longitude setting is. And what you'll do is you actually hide and seek little caches and containers, Um that you'd go and pick out and fill out the log book as to who it was, where you found it and what's going on. And you'd find these things in parks, under rocks, benches. So for me, that was the evolution of GPS. So, you know, you have a look at drones and robotics today, majority of the time they're going to have a GPS associated. So this is something I learned at like seven or eight years old, which was, which was quite interesting. Um, so, you know, you, you Take that and you know you, you look at where that eventuates, but you know, working for my grandfather, and my father at $20 a day didn't really cut. And I'd have to thank my mum who would buy me a block of Coca-Cola cans of 24. Um, I'd be the person that would sell them out of a locker at $2 a pot. So you can imagine per day, you know, 24 cans,
0: $2. Big money. Yeah, big money. Big money.
1: Five, five, five days a week I was turning over $240. So for me, it's actually a story that gets everyone laughing because the tuck shop lady found me and worked it out, told the principal, which landed me in detention at some point in time. So it was one of those things. And I guess life in in and among 16, 17, I founded Sphere Drones in 2012. So um, that's and I was, eight, I was 19 years old. So I focused on my rugby quite a bit, um, which kind of threw me into that leadership role, you could say. Um, I saw yeah. your
0: rugby, I see or you've uh, got a bit of a rugby career
1: there. Yeah, so um, that that took me through to the age of 24. I played in a pretty substantial premiership championship team and um, in Sydney called Randwick Rugby. And at the time, I was thinking about moving and following those passions overseas. But I guess the likes of the drone industry kind of pulled up stumps to that where, you know, in 2012 when I first finished school, um drones were one of these things that just evolved on the map dad had a website i said hey can i buy one just to see what we could do with it and we bought one we then bought five advertised it online and then one thing led to another 2012 i was 18 19 years old so back end of yeah 2012 we had bought 100 drones and sold them for christmas so it was a very accelerated learning curve, but, you know, you're taking GPS, you're taking the $2 Coca-Cola cans. And I was there, to, I was there trying to make a quick buck as a 19 year old. And <laughs> yeah, I guess that's how it all kind of kicked off. There was a few other milestones along the way. And probably the, one of the most pivotal was when in 2014, I was, I was studying at the university of New South Wales and a tutor of mine and all my cohort knew I was the drone guy. Cause I founded this website and I was selling drones as, only just passing um, university. And um, yeah, the tutor at the time introduced me to a friend of his at Sydney Water, which is the Water Utility Board. And um, at that time I had developed a water sampling system, which was to be mounted underneath the drone, um, which is now called Nero. So it's gone through a few iterations since 2014. Um, And yeah, we've actually locked in a services contract to test and monitor the outfalls of one of um, Sydney's outfalls. So that was kind of the start of the journey and how we've gotten to the development in 2014. So I don't know if you want to go into any more detail post 2014.
0: Listen, I mean, there's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot there to unpack. But I mean, like, I think the main message for the audience is um, you were a very early adopter in drones in Australia. Like, I, I, I hazard to say, um, by the time you were kicking off it, there were very, very few companies. Of course, today, are there are far more that you can pick and choose from. But but back then, if you say to someone, are you doing something with drones, you know, Know, i imagine you would have had to give them a bit of a um a case study as to why you think this is a good idea using this technology
1: no definitely and, and not only that, that but like how does it work and where does yeah. it go and I like think i had a bit of a leapfrog on a lot of the audience because of my prior knowledge you could say like with the remote control helicopters with the gps there was just a a few things that leapfrogged us to where we are today
0: yeah and a natural evolution so speaking of which now you've got a few companies under this fear family umbrella um, tell us a little bit more how this all put, goes together
1: yeah sure so um greek family i was an only child dad was an only child um very unusual but um it originated with my grandfather migrating out to australia in 1954 um, and was Involved in the ship liner um, that was pretty much migrating people from Europe to Australia. Um, so he spent a bit of time in Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney, um, and kept going back and forth being the um, engineer on board the ship. So my grandfather was an engineer. He settled in Sydney in 1954, where he founded a business which was um, a radio technician. So he would repair and service people's radios Um, that was in Sydney CBD and um, that business actually still exists today. So that business has evolved into an organization that services and supports um, the airline and the aviation industry specifically for their two-way radio and communication. So, you know, you've got your ground crew who work for your Qantas, your Virgin, all those um, organizations that have two-way radio radio communications between each other. They're our radios, they're our two-way radio networks. Um, so that's that business has this very very similar business model. You sell the radios, you service the radios, you repair the radios, so on and so forth. Um, and then I guess we were also involved in computers. So we imported a, a processor early on in the '70s called the 6809 um, Motorola processor, which was the foundation of your PC computer, um, which was pretty pretty cool. And then I guess Sphere Group as an entity today investing technology robotics iot devices and specifically in the weather monitoring space so a funny story for you nikki the dad actually developed in 1993 or 1992 a product called weathervox um now weathervox that was actually quite funny enough have you are you uh have you connected with meg camaro um yes in- i know the- meg,
0: meg camaro yeah
1: so um funny story about meg i actually connected with her last week and we're talking about background history and all this kind of stuff. I was was explaining that dad had developed this product called WeatherVox. WeatherVox was built and designed so that you've got your landline, you'd call the landline and it would connect and dial straight into a voicemail. Now that voicemail would read, hi, welcome to WeatherVox. The current rainfall is 150 mils. Your wind speed is 23 knots West and your, um your, your your barometric pressure is blah etc etc so dad actually had developed this system back in 1993 which was which could connect to a range of devices and wind speed anemometers tipping buckets and all that kind of stuff and i was speaking to meg the other day and she's obviously involved with the cotton farmers and an engagement officer up there in queensland and also a fly the farm founder and she had Re- recollected that she had dialed this service back when she was younger so um it's actually quite interesting the way the world all goes the, around
0: the six degrees of separation it's not it's two degrees yeah. and um that can either make you feel very young or you can suddenly go "Oh, i'm a bit older now
1: no, definitely and then i went to dad that afternoon i'm like you wouldn't believe who i spoke to i spoke to this lady up in up in uh, southern queensland she's got a drone business but she's also been involved in cotton farming yeah. I and mean, before we knew it, it was just one of those stories. I'm just like, this is just too surreal. And here we are today talking drones, <laughs> talking weather, talking... <laughs> all sorts of stuff
0: Uh, no it's good it's a nice story I've been I've been meaning to catch up with me she's a busy woman but we will I will get her on the show at some point in time so
1: very very busy
0: yeah listen going back to drones now obviously with your early adoption in the market um, I think there are probably more than about 2,000 drone companies in Australia now people doing work in drones what have been like highlights or things that you've seen in terms of the evolution of, of how we're developing in this space?
1: Yeah, no, so definitely. So we keep a very close tap on how many organisations um, grow month on month. Um, that's part of our <laughs> industry secret, we could say. Um, but there's as of today, and I just checked half an hour ago, there's 2,226 organisations that have licences to operate drones commercially. Um, last month, there were an addition of 39 Um, organizations that's 20% year-on-year growth just within the license sector so it's quite a substantial growth within a specific industry and it's only going to grow you know we reflect back to January and December there was something like 120 organizations being added to the license register which is you know the best part of 50-60% growth so annualized our growth rate in and amongst the drone industries is the best part of 40-50% so it's a fantastic market but Rolling back to 2012, a couple of key things that I guess I I observed was drone fleets, right? So you've got car fleets, drone fleets in 2012 were one to two drones per organisation, maximum five. Now we fast forward to 2021. Now you've got organisations flying 100, 200, 250 drones per organisation, which means that Organisations are adopting, which is fantastic. They're fly, they're finding applications and use cases, um, but then also they're they're building out those case studies so that they can build out business cases within their organisation. Now, another thing that we've acknowledged is that they're obviously flying longer. You know, I rolled back to my days of flying model hel- helicopters and aeroplanes. I was flying three, four minutes maximum, and I was using lithium-ion batteries back in two thousand. And- yeah, the year 2005, 2006. You know, lithium-ion batteries today are lasting the best part of one hour, two hours worth of flight time um, in and among some of those larger aircraft. But then we've got, you know, other, other energy sources like hydrogen that are coming online. Um, there's some fantastic product out there um, that are, are using sources like hydrogen. And then the last thing I would say most definitely is... Flying heavier, flying heavier payloads, flying things longer. You know, medical delivery is not far away. Food delivery is not far away. I'll, I'll, be, send, I'll be sending you a, a package in, in in Victoria, Nikki, very, very soon with a coffee. Yeah. Um, that, that's, 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 on the, that's on the horizon. Um so well, yeah.
0: well delivery has already been doing up in in um Queensland um medical deliveries is being done in um as i'm sure you'd know the company swoop that's based in port melbourne eric peck and his crew are doing medical supplies all over the world in countries such as vanuatu and Papua new guinea so new guinea so like i mean this, this stuff is already and the other day on linkedin i saw a drone had been used for delivering drugs Now I'm not like I'm just going like there's no end to what we as humans are going to do with these this technology and the only reason this drone was picked up it had been modified and was carrying talk about a payload four kilos so like a huge amount of money just flying there and the only reason that had been picked up because it blipped on the radar because it was big enough to be seen and the police trapped it. I mean, talk about how easy it is. Let's just catch the, the drone because you just get your, what your goods. Yeah, so there was a whole story about that on on LinkedIn that I was following. It was, um, look, at, look, as you say, like, um, now just take us a step back when you say Companies are registered for licenses. Just, just talk us through this a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I guess obviously we've got an audience which is a global audience. So, if I was to relate it to the aviation industry and the airline industry. So, you know, your, your um, American Airlines has a license to operate in the US, um, your Qantas Airways has a license to operate in Australia, your Singapore Airlines has a license to operate in Singapore if you were to translate that down into the drone industry today, especially within the Australian market, is that Sphere Drones, being our business, needs to have a license to operate drones commercially, similar to Qantas, Singapore, American Airlines in the aviation space. Sphere Drones need that license to operate here in Australia at present. So every pilot that operates under Sphere Drones also needs a license. So the organization needs a license and the pilot needs a license as well.
0: Okay, so you're going to CASA for that, which is a civil aviation.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, that you're applying for it there. Now, is it a yearly license? Um, like, talk us through all of that.
1: Yeah, sure. So, part of the licensing structure is that there needs to be a level of manual and compliance requirements. So, compliance and regulation is a big driver in and amongst the market at present. So, part of the organization has um, obligations to keep records of where a drone has flown, who has flown it, how it's flown, um, you know, the maintenance of the, that aircraft, um, the pilot and he, and he, and his or hers um, records um, and how long they've flown. Um, then the pilots have record keeping requirements around per category of aircraft. So a, a sub two kilo drone, a seven kilo drone, a 25 kilo drone, actually being able to report on the capability of um, actually reporting on how many hours you've actually flown on each of those aircraft. So you can prove your case. And the same thing when you go and explore, for example, beyond visual line of sight, like being able to have a register of all your successful flights um, that you have performed as an organization, if you've had any defects uh, identifying any of those issues or defects you have occurred. And this is an area that, you know, for us as a business, we're really trying to focus on. We've actually developed a piece of software called Curo and it manages all of that for an organization. So we're really trying to simplify, but that, that, compliance and regulation requirement is one that is make it or break it for a lot of the, these organizations at present, but it really doesn't seem to be holding back a lot of the market seeing as though there's actually quite a substantial adoption um, at the moment. And there's organizations like ourselves and others out there that are trying to make it easier for businesses to adopt it. And it's as simple as having a manual, having a, having a set of standard operating procedures um, and and applying and having the necessary insurances um, and competencies between your pilots and your organization to perform those sorts of operations.
0: Yeah, I think what's actually quite important for companies to realize is in the adoption rate of, um, uh, in your case, drones now, that they don't become a drone company. They're using the technology and they, they do have to be clear about how they're going to manage this in their company because i think sometimes they tread a little they they mistake the complexity of about um, adopting the technology and just going okay now we've bought these drones but there's a whole change process um, change management process in the background you need to talk to your staff about it um, and who's going to service these drones. What do you do with, you know, so it's not just you buy the drones and, right, there's the drones now. Now this company is, it, it, like, it's it's a bit of a complexity around that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. So it's it's very much, you know, it's very much like a HR framework. It's mm-hmm. it, it, You could almost mirror what a HR framework looks like. So there's policy and procedure around what um, an organisation can or can't do, how they fly, where they can or can't fly, Um, And then there's an approval process that's required so that, you know, part of the organization that has the license, you also have a chief pilot, um, that person that approves the job. So that person is generally the one that has a direct report with either the COO or the manager of operations or whatever um, that hierarchy structure looks like. And then you've got a maintenance controller. So your chief pilot from an organization perspective is in charge of the operation of the aircraft, making sure that they're being ethically and, um, ethically being used across um, the organization in line with policy and procedure that's been rolled out. But then you've got a maintenance controller who can be the same person, but is recommended not to be. Um, That person is in charge of all the aircraft, making sure the aircraft are are fundamentally okay to fly um, and have had the necessary checks. And, you know, you correlate that and you look at that, that is the exact same model that you'll see in your Singapore Airlines, your American Airlines, your Qantas um organizations so i'm not too sure if that answers your question but there's a, there's a lot to consider um, no no,
0: it does D- going like a step deeper like if you you go into an organization now and if you're not providing the the pilots how do they go about getting a pilot's license for like i'm assuming above a certain weight you need a license to be flying these drones
1: yeah definitely so um there's a there's a category here in australia called the sub two kilogram category um, the sub two kilogram category is an excluded category, which allows any, or any person to operate within a standard operating guideline, um, operate commercially, but it's very restricted. So you can't fly within 30 meters of people places, and buildings. You can't fly within five, five and a half um, kilometers of an airport and an aerodrome and all that kind of stuff. So having this framework um, and specifically to get your license as a pilot, um, well, let's start with getting your license as an organization. So an organization to get a license with a civil aviation safety authority, you have, need to have all your things in order. So you need to have a standard operating um, procedures for your organization as to how you operate, what your safety measures are, what your risk assessments look like you need to correlate that all the way down to your actual aircraft that you're planning on operating. And you also need to present the the ways that you you are going to present the record keeping requirements. So your pilot records, how do you plan on keeping your pilot records? How do you plan on keeping your drone records? How do you plan on keeping your operational records? So there's a long list of operational policy and procedure. You submit that to the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, you either get approved or get feedback. Um, And from there, your pilots then need to get a license. Now, the REPL course, the Remote Operated Pilots License, um, is a five-day course, um, face-to-face course where you learn the standards of aviation, um, but then also have a practical component where you can get signed off on a seven kilo and a 25 kilo. Now, that license in Australia can cost anywhere between $2,000 to $2,500 um, per person. It's a five-day course. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's um listen the drone industry it's an industry it's not yeah. just little drones like there's serious money in this industry it makes me think when I uh, started Exaptic seven years ago I should have gone into drones instead of personal robotics but hey listen let me not complain um, there's a space for everyone in the market <laughs> and so you do the R&D section you hit it up it's fear um fear of um drones tell us about some unusual case studies or um clients that you've assisted
1: no definitely so for us um r&d stems more than just creating a piece of hardware r&d for us is more about talking about a solution and a concept that i got introduced to and probably my biggest takeaway from university was this concept of design thinking so design thinking to me is what does it look like what can it look like and how can it influence decisions in the future and how can it influence things of um Substantial substance, right? So, you know, some of the most uh, interesting and some of my favourite projects fall out of the R and D side of of our business. Um, From a um, a platform and a software perspective, an R and D perspective is actually looking at environments that can affect the performance of a drone. Um, So, looking at for example, flying over salt water, will that affect the longevity of a drone? You know, salt water is obviously mm-hmm. one of those substances Horizon. that really really bothers um, aircraft. But then also the same thing for the mining clients. So flying over red dust, does that affect the longevity of an aircraft? So that's a that's an interesting thing that we're still working on today. Um, But then looking at, you know, for example, Sydney water. So we developed in 2013, 14, I actually developed the first water sampling system that was used to do some water monitoring um, and quality testing out at um, the Sydney headlands. But, you know, that water sampling project, the way that's unfolded is, you know, an organisation like Sydney water would want to measure the pollution um, of the outlet as to how far, how long it takes it for it to dilute and you cannot pick it up anymore. So they call that transect. So you've got a cliff face and you've got transect of five meters from the cliff face, 15 meters from the cliff face, 30 meters from the cliff face, 50 meters from the cliff face. So what we would do is we would measure a sample at every single one of those locations. Now, one of those um, one of those projects, what has actually unfolded is we actually developed a water sample that would pick up five samples in the one flight that one sample those one or five samples would have taken hours and three or four team members in and amongst an organization to go out there by boat to pick up that sample now we fly a drone off off the cliff trigger the switch pick up the five samples come back they sample them and then we're off to the next site so it becomes a lot more efficient um, let alone the safety implications Mm. someone like surf life saving so the 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 organization um, that monitors and and make sure that everyone is safe um on our beaches here in Australia. Um, we actually developed a water response solution um probably two, three years ago now, um, where we would actually drop a life-saving device. Um, it was called a res tube, mm-hmm. um, and have a voice communicate via two-way radio. So my dad's business was a two-way radio business. We came together and put this system together. Um, for surf life saving. Another interesting project that we worked on was with um, an agricultural agency. I can't disclose who they are, but it was a, to drive an increased demand of agricultural productivity. Um, we involved in a phenotyping project um, that used a specific sensor that had never been mounted on a drone before. Um, it was quite heavy. Um, and it developed a, a really novel vegetation inject that resulted in a... Um, it resulted in a rapid screening process of large wheat populations. So it, it created substantial efficiencies in and amongst agriculture space. And then my favourite projects of them all is in and amongst the mining sector. So measuring boulder oversize in and amongst um, the auto- autonomous haul trucks. So the biggest problem in and amongst the mining, um, that 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 specific segment of the drill, blast, push, um, the the ore bodies off to port is a, a substantial problem. Is that when you blow up the um, iron ore out of the ground, you've got large rocks that the crusher can't handle. If you've got autonomous haul trucks that back up because of the truck the crusher is blocked, what happens to your productivity? It stops. Yeah. So what we were doing is we we're flying a drone over the top of the haul truck that would pick up whether a whole truck had oversize in the rear of it. And at that point, we would trigger the system to say, hey, send this truck X, Y, Z, right, and do not send it to the crusher. So that there was a streamlined process in and amongst that, uh, that whole thing. So, uh, you know, we, we've been involved in some unbelievable um, projects, which is the stuff that keeps me going day by day. You know, the one thing that about our, our job and our team in and amongst our business is, you know, not every day is the same. We're yeah. working on a beach one day, working in an agriculture industry the next day, working on a mining organization. And why? It's because we're really that conduit between international brands and manufacturers, but then also the Australian local market and what's going on in and amongst that drone industry.
0: Listen, man, it's fascinating. I'd, I'd love to spend a day in your office. I think it's, um, you know, the, the way where drones are being used. I've had a few um, guests now um, talking about drones on, on this podcast, um, you know from finding um, unexploded devices to uh, you know like it, it's amazing work it, it really is amazing work and I see the industry honestly with people such as yourself enthusiastic and finding new ways of making things easier for people and it's saving lives why wouldn't you use this technology and of course the mining sector here in Australia they just be you know that that's a lot of money that yeah. that technology getting a truck to go divert thats serious money we're talking about then
1: definitely so yeah no it's yeah like i said you you couldn't place me in a better industry it's it's something that's definitely um eye-opening and that r&d design like and it's that that thing that was drilled into me early on in my career is that design thinking thinking like outside of the box how can this impact other elements and that's the stuff that keeps a lot of people interested within the business and our team stick by our company because it's awesome stuff and differentiation across their roles and responsibilities which is really really cool
0: yeah so now speaking about the evolution about robotics like uh, what do you see in the space in australia
1: yeah sure so i guess the the biggest thing right now is that they've identified within the next five to ten years we 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 should expect to see five and a half thousand full-time jobs um, which is quite, you know, when you t- start talking about a, a growing industry, that's quite a substantial FTE volume. Um, you know, you have a look at external markets like driverless cars are occurring. You have a look at organisations like Boston Dynamics Spot, that that robotic dog. That's something that we're looking at at, at present. You have a look at Tesla Bot. There's so much happening in and amongst the robotics and drone industry here in Australia that, that really keeps us on our toes here locally. Um, but then you've got, Internal markets are so from within the drone industry. They're saying by 2040, food deliveries by drone are going to hit between 50 to 75% of our population. And that's 20 years away. So, you know, between 2020 and 2040, we've got a lot of growing to do, um, which is which is quite exciting. You've got organisations that are adopting um, a lot of this awesome technology um, not just and what we're finding is there's organizations that we're dealing with that not only want to invest in airborne drones but also and a big focus of ours is airborne landborne and waterborne mm-hmm. so getting involved in that complete structure and that environment and you have a look at our processes and procedures everything just rolls into the one thing to the other they need repairs they need maintenance yeah. they need to sell it they need advisory how to use it they need training. Any compliance software, it, it it all falls into that um, one space, and really for us, it's about growing our relationships with our customers. So, you know, those customers all want everything, right? It's yeah. it's just one of those things.
0: A one-stop shop solution. Look, I'm 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 a little bit hesitant, or skeptical you know when they start flipping out these numbers about what's going to happen because you know like i started seven years ago and according to where i should be now look i should be retired and sitting on a beach somewhere drinking cocktails and and, you know not working anymore but sadly that's not the state of affairs in australia um i think our robotics uptake is slightly uh it's not slightly it's definitely lower than the rest of the world out of 38 companies countries in the world we rank number 35 in terms of our adoption rate. so certainly there's there's a huge um space for improvement in terms of how we're doing it but i think what's going to happen is especially in the drone industry this stuff is just going to be there like and it's if you if you're not using it you're just going to be losing money it's as simple as that
1: definitely and i think um organizations need to have a focus of and not only organisations, but also the government and the influencers of the market need to have thoughts around how to resolve things around, you know, re- creating robust frameworks and easy ways of adoption, you know, removing layers of compliance. How do we con- constantly evolve, you know, what's coming into market and and not um, putting roadblocks in front of those things? How do we remove, like, silos and, and how do we create efficiencies in labor and safety and all those sorts of things i think there's a few issues that we need to resolve as a country as a country as a government but then also as businesses and people um, to really like accelerate that adoption
0: yeah well it's, it's people such as yourself working in the forefront that needs to get quite outspoken about and um you know the better ways of doing it and i know I know the whole robotics industry as a whole is they're all crying out for this, that the streamline processes and, and stop putting roadblocks in front of things that we could easily be adopting things.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, roadblocks are easily pulled away if you've got good culture for it too. So I think yeah. culture is another big thing. Um, I feel the Australian culture though, and one thing that I do want to raise is I was actually on a call last week um, with, a, with a working group um, alongside the Civil Aviation Safety Authority. And I said one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that's going to influence success within the Australian market and the adoption of technology and the safe use of technology is hearing the way success stories of localized Australian businesses using this technology works. And the biggest thing is Australians are probably the first. Um, first population that will say no no I want to see it done here locally in Australia they don't want to see how it's done in the US they want to see how it's done here locally yeah. how how joe up in queensland has done it you know so i think that's that's what we need to be driving for in and amongst manufacturers regulation government
0: yeah. Listen, I think part of the, the aim of this podcast is exactly that, is to get success stories such, such as yours out there and the work that you're doing. Um, you know, by no means are you the only company, but you're one of the successful companies out there doing it. And you want to highlight the success stories because I think Australians are typically a little bit, um, you know, they don't blow their own trumpet too loudly. And And this is definitely so... Paris, this is your opportunity. You blow it as loud as you like. This, I give you permission. Like, <laughs> now, speaking of uh, development and blowing your trumpet, like y- y- you know, now the third generation in this business. Um, you've mentioned your dad and your granddad. What have their roles been in your development? This is this is not, it's just been Father's Day. You now give it to your dad.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I guess god dad, he... He knows it. I don't really need to explain anymore. But he, he, he gave me the $10,000 to buy those first few drones. Like, he showed me the ropes. Um, he's my best mate. I'm an only child. He's an only child. We, we, we come together, play chess. Um, you know, he taught me GPS through the geocaching. He taught me radio control through the remote control aircraft and helicopters. He taught me about transmission via two-way radios. You know, show me the foundations of process and how simple it can be in and amongst multi-businesses. But I guess, yes, it's been Father's Day, but um, Mother's Day is always ahead of us too. And, you know, mum and dad, the two of them have really shown me, I guess, yeah, have really shown me the way of life, um, you know, and I think it, it, it even extends further than mum and dad. My entire family, you know, they migrated to Australia to evolve in a better life. Um, and a better way of doing things. And I'm not sure how you could shape out a life if if they didn't make that decision. Um, because, you know, there there's one thing, you know, migrating to a show, but then raising a family without your family and all that, all those little intricacies, um, which I'll never have an understanding of how they, how they ever did, but you can only hear stories. But I think the only way you could potentially repay that is hopefully post this lockdown, you can host them all for a nice big meal and just really say a big thanks. Because I don't think there's anything else that could really show that to them um if it wasn't for the family i guess you wouldn't be here today and yes it's just been father's day but it's more than just dad
0: yeah of course listen i to all the youngsters out there worrying about this dilemma how do you repay your parents you become good examples you got you good ambassadors for what they're trying to put into you of years of raising kids and you know i'm also an immigrant to australia and my sons are on your position so um that's that's what I think you do you you repay the price that parents have paid to choose to raise you in a different country you do your best and you shine and whatever and you're obviously doing that so I don't think your parents so they'll be complaining about you hopefully not (laughs) (laughs) now other mentors tell me about it you must have other mentors that have shaped
1: your journey for you yeah no definitely so I guess um yeah, I, I do have close week to week engagement with a couple of key people, but I guess at a very very top level, the Salesforce team have been a group of mentors that have really like driven us to be better um, and be great. I had I was very fortunate enough to meet the CEO of Salesforce, um, the best part of two three months ago on a one to one, which was amazing. You know, she's her name's Pip Marlowe, um, one of the most amazing people i've met um she's someone i definitely look up to from a mentor perspective she probably doesn't know it but um i'll, I'll verbalize it and beat the drum about it yeah. um but i guess I, I do have four other key people in my life um who have really shown the way of um business and 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 family you could say so the first one's paul checker so the checker family is a is is a is a breed of family who were very well known in the Australian sport and business space. Um, we share the common family of Randwick rugby, which is where I played my grade rugby. Um, the only difference was that he was there 30 years earlier. So Paul was the first person to show me and show his hand at strategy and team. And, um, you know, that was probably the best part of five years ago as the business was accelerating. Um, I met another gentleman by the name of Paul Crawford, um, Another breed of Randwick rugby um, personnel, and who, who is who I was introdu- as I said, who I was introduced by Paul. Paul found has found, recently founded a business called C to Zero, which is an amazing startup that takes emission allowances um, and attaching attaching them to everyday goods. So you think about a coffee cup, a T-shirt, a haircut. Every single one of them has an allocation of carbon to it, and it's a really really interesting business model. And I, I speak to Paul on a daily basis. Um, we even go for a walk around one of the parks here in Sydney called Centennial Park and do our stand-up meetings. And um, he supported me through tenders, pitch decks, connects to businesses. And then the last two people is my my godfather, um, James Stevens, who founded Roses Only back in the early 90s. Uh, I'm not sure if you know Roses Only, but it's a pretty substantial organisation. And he splashed himself at e-commerce and continues to push me to be better. Um, he's exposed me to life lessons, learnings, e-commerce, And then the last one's my, my uncle, Dean. Um, I spend most Thursday nights um, at the driving range with him, um, the golfing driving range with him and bouncing ideas. He's got manufacturing history, leading team strategy. So I've got a really fantastic group of um, people around me, not only family, but also friends and, and mentors. So,
0: Listen, Faris, yeah. you've just given me the recipe. If in 10 years, now I'm not even talking 10 years, if in another four years you aren't doing something extraordinary, you'll need a clip around your ears because with a team like that around you, like you're destined for success.
1: No, definitely. And yeah, no, those four team, those four people have played pretty pivotal parts in my life. So alongside family, of course.
0: Well, great. You, you've had the chance to acknowledge them now on Let's Talk Robotics. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you for drone questions, any other questions, um, I can i put your email address in the yeah, show notes.
1: Put my, put my email address, parasatspheregroup.com.au. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, if you're interested in following me on Instagram, go for it. I, I'm a, I'm an avid chef. I love cooking. Um, so, and I'm, I'm happy for absolutely anything.
0: Fabulous. Paris, thank you so much for your time. It's really been interesting. I love I love watching how this drone space is evolving in Australia. I think we don't have to stand back for anyone in the world in terms of the technology and the solutions we're providing here and the people that work in the space. So um, I, I think in the next five years, it's, it's definitely going to be an industry to watch closely. No,
1: definitely. Yeah, it's definitely one I'm very excited to be at the forefront of and, you know, being that conduit between international markets and the local market here in Australia. Oh,
0: fantastic. Yeah. No, fantastic, and congratulations to you and the rest of the team at Sphere Group. So, uh, to our audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I look forward to uh, your company next week. And as always, please do follow, um, leave us a review, and even better, a donation box has now been a button has now been added. So, drop a donation if you feel the urge. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.